ride with me in my foul life. Podcast world with shaking. Chad Belding, the Foul Life Podcast coming your way again. Thank you all so much for downloading. Thank you guys so much for subscribing. Thank you, boys and girls, for the ratings, the reviews. We're so fired up about the growth, the diversity in guests. We're trying to cover a bunch of different topics, and um, we're going to keep going. Today's episode of the Foul Life Podcast is brought to you by our friends, again, at Gerber Knives. You know how we feel about a knife. You know how we feel about Gerber. You know where we carry our knives, and we have them on us at all times, just in case we do need to build that duck blind or cut that rope cut that breast meat off of a mallard duck or a Canada goose or a backstrap out of an elk. We're always prepared to use our blade and we're always staying sharp. So stay sharp, America. Check out Gerber Knives. They're made in America. They're made in Oregon and they employ a ton of our American citizens and kudos to them for that. We are so humbled and proud to be part of the Gerber family and Gerber nation. So please support the partners and sponsors that support us. And today's episode is also brought to you by our friends at Yukonuba Dog Food, Yukonuba Sporting Dog, Yukonuba High Performance. You talk about changing a way a dog performs, a way a dog feels, a way a dog sleeps, a way a dog gets around during the day, There's a, their excitement level, their disposition, their personality, their hair, their teeth, their joints, their coat, the silkiness of it, the feel of it, the texture of it, just the smile on their face, their eagerness to perform day in and day out. And the food does not last long. Once it hits that bowl, they're on it, they attack it and it's gone in a heartbeat and we get on with the rest of our day. So you can a high performance sporting dog is doing the research, the science they have behind all of their foods is absolutely amazing. We've been on site. We've seen it firsthand. We work very close with the Yukonuba family and we feed nothing else to all of our dogs across the country, including all of the dogs at the kennel that we are going to talk about today. Wild Acre Kennels out of the great state of Minnesota, the land of 10,000 lakes, even though there's probably more than that. You guys can look up his last name, the owner of Wild Acre, and you guys can figure it out for yourself. I'm not even going to attempt it, but Andrew, my friend, welcome back to the podcast. How's it going? What's going on, buddy? Oh, not much. Just training dogs, staying quarantined. (laughs) Yeah. Keeping the dogs uh, inside as well, making sure they don't catch the virus. Yeah. Yeah, it's actually got a nice here. It's supposed to get up to 70 degrees today, and um, our water's all opened up and uh, um, starting to warm up, so we're getting ready for summer classes. What's the, um, give me a, a day in the life of Andrew right now. What time are you getting up, and then take me all the way until you finally lay your head on your pillow? Yep, so we um, get up probably about 6 o'clock in the morning, um, start letting dogs out, um getting dogs all loaded up and then we clean and disinfect our kennel twice daily so once we get them all out of there we clean it all disinfect it all um check make sure everybody's good to go um get them loaded once they're loaded up we take them up and then depending on where we're at with the dogs um so like right now currently we're doing all of our obedience and force fetching um so we're we're doing that with um, all of our dogs um that usually takes us up to about noon and then at noon we unload them all back in the building so they can get a drink and rest for a little bit. We eat lunch and then in the afternoon, we load them all back up again. And then we either go shoot birds or work on marks or work on water retrieving, um, depending on what time of the year it is, um, depending on where we're at with the group of dogs. Um, we usually spend the afternoon shooting birds. Uh, right now, the water is still a little bit cold, so we're shooting birds every day and um, throwing marks for the dogs. 
um, just working on that delivery to hand and steadiness. And um, then as soon as this water warms up, then we'll start getting them steady to boats, steady to blinds, delivering the hand all the way into the boat or the blind um, and getting them ready for that next duck hunt. Are you, um, are you taking this all the way into the evenings every night? Does the training last into the evening hours and then you have a last and final feed and then you air them out or how does the evening work? Yeah. So the evening we, um, once we're done, everybody's trained for the day. Um, then we actually have what we call a kennel crew come in. Um, so these are just like high school kids, um, that just working for a part-time job and they'll relet everybody out, go for their final exercise. And then, uh, Max and I will, will jump on the, um, side by sides and go out and, um, we like to let five or six of them run alongside of us just to stretch their legs, get their final run in. And then we clean the whole kennel, um, get everything clean because we want to let the dogs settle down for at least an hour, um, before we feed them and then once they relax we feed them and then um then we're then we're done for the day um so usually about we probably wrap things up right now it, it gets dark at probably seven ish right now um so by by six thirty seven o'clock that's kind of when we're all pretty much done for the day how many dogs are we talking right now we currently have uh 22 training dogs in and we're all hunting hunting dogs and we got uh I think we got six just just obedience dogs. Is majority of the hunting dogs are they Labradors? Um, we got labs. We got two short hairs, German short hairs. We got one wired hair. We got one Weimanheimer, and we got three Britneys, um, a Springer Spaniel. Um, what else we got down there? And then we got oh, and then we got uh, two Golden Retrievers. Two goldies. Huh? So what, when you talk about water this time of year and it being as cold as it can get in Minnesota, how conscientious do you need to be as a trainer and a handler? Um, not just you at your kennel, but if you're telling somebody that's just a, you know, a weekend warrior or going out with their dogs in the afternoon when they get off work, how, how do you know that that water is at a good temperature to let a dog go into it and let them get used to it. Is there, is, can it be too cold? Because we've hunted dogs over ice and they break the ice and they get in that water and we have heaters in the blind and obviously body temperature and core temperature is key. But when you're training this time of year, when temperatures are getting up to 70 degrees, can the water be a little colder or, or, or what would you tell somebody? Yeah. So, um, you know, with, with your old experienced dogs, you know, that ones that are two, three, four, whatever years old, um, those ones, I mean, yeah, you can bust ice in the water temperature as long as you got a vest on them. You know, you're keeping an eye on them. You don't want to let them sit out in the ice freezing water for six, seven hours. Um, but those dogs are usually good to go. But the, the reason why I'm saying we got to watch the water temperatures is the younger dogs, the ones that haven't been swimming yet or haven't been introduced to the water yet um, or haven't had a retrieve in the water yet. We want to, we will, I like to introduce them as a little bit warmer to start them just so we, we're not ruining their confidence right away. So, you know, when, when it's hitting 70 degrees, um, so like today is our first day of 70 degrees, um, my, my personal dogs, your dog Slash, they're already out swimming in the pond. They have been for the last three, four days. They're busting ice out there swimming. Um, but these young dogs, we want to make sure. So like today's 70 degrees. So probably start of next week, we'll probably start. We won't like throw them in the water. We'll just, we'll throw a retrieve out just very short, very shallow and see what they do. And if they go trumbling out there, then we'll continue to train those dogs in the water. But we just keep our training session kind of short. And as soon as they made a couple of retrieves, we'll run them back into the building just to make sure that they're staying warm. Um, but if they're kind of nervous or kind of scared, 
Um, you know, or they're not going into the water, then we'll, we'll take a couple steps back and wait for that water to warm up a little bit. Um, but usually we start, we start by May here. Um, we'll be doing water full force usually by May. Yeah. Yeah. May is kind of our, so like all the dogs that we train in the winter time, we have them come back in the summertime to do all their water training. And, um, we start that all in May. That May is when all those water dogs will start coming in. So would your main goal as a trainer being in that part of the country and owning the business that you do at Wild Acre, would you want to move south in the wintertime so you can keep training, you know, business as usual where that could be Texas or, you know, southeast or, you know, anywhere that you're going to find ponds and some good land to get on? Oh, absolutely. That'd be a dream. <laughs> um, yeah, I'd love to be able to train here all summer long and then about October, May or October, November, somewhere in there take a take a month off and go enjoy the fall i'm going hunting with my employees take them on a trip or something and then come november december go down south and uh um, start training somewhere down south so that way we can just keep training all through the winter and get them 100 trained for everything you mentioned slash is he there with you yeah so he's in the house right now i'm in my office um slash is doing uh he's doing really well we just started um advanced hand signals with him um, so we're teaching him right, left, back, going on blind retrieves. Um, he's just in the new beginning of that part of it. So we're doing wagon wheel, um, long marks, um, and uh, doing right and left back stuff with him. And how – give me a little bit of Slash's background. Where is he from? What's his bloodlines like? Have you trained dogs out of this same, this same bitch and the same sire before? What, what, what's his story? Yeah, absolutely. So um, – Slash's mom, um, Kino was, um, she was a master hunter at, um, 28 months and Slash's dad, Reno was a master hunter at 24 months. Um, so both great hunting dogs, they're both black labs, um, and, um, very nice dogs. Uh, they're kind of, uh, you know, you're not, they're not, they're bigger dogs. They're actually Slash's, uh, Slash just turned one February 28th and, um, he's probably, we just had him at the vet getting his annual shots and he was 52 pounds. Um, and Slash went on his first duck hunt down in Kansas um, in December. And um, it was kind of funny. The the first Mallard duck we shot for him, he uh, he was kind of not like clueless, but like, he was like, whoa, this was like, because there's like 13 Mallard ducks that came in and we shot just two of them. And he kind of just stood there like he didn't break or nothing, but he was kind of overthinking it. So I just kind of stepped out of the, we were in um, the panel blinds and I kind of just stepped out and like slash and he tore up after there and brought it right back to me. And after that, he was like dialed in, didn't try to screw with any of the decoys. He was del- delivered every bird. We shot 19 ducks that day and he retrieved 17 of them. Really? So I, was pretty, I was pretty proud of my the boy there. So what kind of dog is slash as far as disposition personality? Are you liking him? Is he a good dog to be around? Oh God. Yeah. Slash is, um, slash is one of those dogs that makes you laugh extremely hard. So like, for instance, uh, yesterday we, um, we ran him out on the side by sides and then we came back in and, um, we, then after he rests, we feed him and then he knows he can go jump up on the couch and, uh, that's where he sleeps then. Um, but he'll position himself. So he's like in the corner of the couch and he sleeps upside down with his feet completely straight up in the air. And he, he laid like that for probably about four and a half hours yesterday. He just great personality, happy go lucky, loves other dogs. Um, but then when you take him out in the hunting scenario, 
I mean, it's like you, you turned a gear and, uh, he, uh, he doesn't want you to pet him. He doesn't want you to do anything. He just is focused in on that game and want to retrieve. And it's just so cool to see that light switch in the house. He wants to be petted, loved up, can't leave your side, but out on the field, he just wants to do his job. And it's, that's a great on and off switch to have in a, in a Labrador. I can't wait to meet him. I wish I could see him there. Can somebody bring him out? I want to see his little face. Yeah, you can get him out here. Um, you, got any, you got anybody you can text? Yeah, yeah, I can uh, get Max um, in here. Um, he's just out training the dogs right now. So talk uh, to me. Talk to me a little bit about how what the relationship's been like with you, Canuba, over the last year. <laughs> it's been, oh, it's uh, been it's, it's been, been almost a, it's been almost been a full year since you signed a deal with you, Canuba. You're a you're you, Canuba, endorsed kennel and trainer and. Are you seeing results? Are you seeing differences? Talk to me a little bit about Yukonuba. Um, so yeah, Yukonuba, um, we we love it. Um, I actually just ordered a pallet again on uh, Friday. Um, you know, when when we're feeding the Yukonuba, I've even had customers come up to me and ask um, when they come to get because their dogs are here for you know anywhere from six to twelve weeks, depending on what they're in for, and um, they come in and they go my dog looks amazing. Like they feel like they got a whole new coat on them and they're, you know, they've got a nice shiny sleek look to them. Um, and what I really like about Yukonuba is before we would have a lot of problem with trying to keep weight on dogs. Um, we're all, all our dogs were, you know, when they're in the kennel life, we're running every day, you know, seven days a week, we're going hundred miles an hour and, um, you know, they'd get super, super skinny. Um, where the cool part about Yukonuba is, if our dogs are getting skinny, we bump them up to four, four cups, let's say, and uh, we can manage that weight. And uh, you mean, you can't see the ribs or nothing. We're managing weight 10 times better. Um, we're having better stools um, and the dogs just scarf it down. They just love it. And um, I love being a part of it. When I go to order dog food, it's, they just call me up and I say, Hey, I need my pallet dog food. They know exactly what I want and where it needs to be delivered. And it, everybody's nice and, I love it. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. I think that I've been telling people the same thing. I've been, so many testimonials coming in from the guys that have changed over. We had a, a outfit down in Texas that changed all their dogs over to Yukonuba. They're seeing the same results and outfit in California. They're seeing the same results. And I think the proofs in the pudding and the results speak for themselves. And I think that Yukonuba has done the job of making sure that they had the food done, right. The science behind it, the research behind it, the nutrient, the nutritional value of it, and and then they come out with a plan to you know reintroduce themselves to the sporting dog market and and they did it the right way and they did it they did it the right speed and now everybody that's seeing the results you know from you to Brad Arrington to our guys in Texas to California Nevada wherever you're at that it's it truly is amazing to see the benefits that's feeding Yukonuba performance high performance you know, has and talk a little bit about the blend of the food, the high performance and the proteins, the fats and why the carbohydrates, the mixture and talk a little bit about that and why that is so important when you're looking for, a, you know, if you're going into a retail store looking for the food for your dog, why is you the one to choose as far as the recipe goes? Right. Um, first of all, one thing I forgot to say was, um, you know, one thing I do like about you as well is their like, customer service like Brett. You know, he's, he's always, you know, reaching out to you. Hey, how's everything going? Are you liking the food? Is everything going good? Um, you know, they they care about their product and they like their product and they, they know it's good and they want to make sure that all their clients are happy. And uh, that's what I really like is somebody that's reaching out to me and asking if everything's going good. 
Um, so I just want to say thanks for that as well, too. Um, like when I'm going out to the store to, you know, to answer your question to buy your dog food, um, you know, one thing you got to look at is we feed Yukonuba 3020. Um, and the reason why we feed that dog is all of our dogs are active. You know, we're, you know, they're not just sitting in the kennel. You know, we're, they're only in the kennel pretty much at nighttime when they're sleeping. Um, so we need a dog, we need a dog food that has the um, high calorie um, to help keep the weight on, but the protein to keep them going. Um, so like when you're going to the store to buy a bag of dog food, you need to look at um, what kind of breed of dog you got, what kind of exercise level it's at. Um, and then that'll adjust you what kind of food to buy for that, that certain dog. Um, so I believe they make like a 28, 18 or something like, I don't know what the other one is, but we feed the 30, 20, um, that that's a high calorie, high protein food. So when you're looking for that 30, 20 mark, you're looking for the amount of proteins compared to the fats, compared to the carbohydrates, compared to the caloric intake. And what you're keeping in mind is the level of rigorous exercise training that this dog that you're planning on feeding a food to is going to be through is going to have throughout the day. The thing that's cool about the the high performance you can is that you can feed it pretty much from, you know, birth to death of a dog and hopefully they never die. We hate when that happens, but you, you know, you have a lot of different ideologies behind puppy foods and the mixture there i i like the fact that you can feed this 30 20 high performance you know as young as you want to as old as you want and they also have a a vast selection of other foods for you know specifically puppies or older older dogs that are getting up there a little bit in dog years which what are what are you in dog years you're you're uh you're 30 years old right now 35 huh 29 you're older than that dude how old is that in dog years what is that 210 Oh, a dog year. Sorry, I didn't hear that. I thought you had just asked my no, age. No, no, yeah, you're 29, but about we'll round it up to 30. So what is that? 30 times seven is the multiplication factor that they use. Yep. So It'd you think you think 200, 200, 203. 200, no, oh, 230. Oh. 203. 70 times seven times 30 is 200 is 210. Yep. I was saying 29. Yeah, so I think that. You know, I think that the food speaks for itself and to see what it's doing to uh, so many dogs, you know, our dog, our dogs down in Georgia with Brad, who, you know, who you've met through calls and text is Axel's doing awesome. I don't know if you've been seeing a lot of the things that he's doing with his master hunter, hunter retriever champion. And he's Brad says that it's a huge difference and turnaround with what he's seen on the, uh, with the Yukonuba. So we're getting slashing here for everybody that's going to be watching this podcast and listening to this podcast via our YouTube channel. This life ain't for everybody. This is slash. He just, his birthday was a month ago on February 28th. He's a good looking dog. Um, he, what's his full name? Do you remember what I named him? The full, the full name banded yep. slash. Yep. But, um, I got it written down here. Um, one cause, second. Cause Axel is bandits. Axel Rose. Master Banded Hunter. GNR slash. Banded Buildings GNR slash. Yep. Banded Buildings GNR slash. I, you think people can tell that I'm a big Guns N' Roses fan with the way yeah. I name my dogs? It, it's pretty funny. Like a lot of my customers, you know, they'll meet Slash and everything and they go, um, 
but what's his name? I go slash and they go, Oh, guns and roses slash. I go, yep, you're exactly right. And then I, you know, I have Duff here. Who's the bass player for guns and roses. He's <laughs> our, our yellow lab Duff here. His brother, who my brother runs is Waylon. But then we have, we have a dog, we have Axel in Georgia. And then we have another dog being born in Arkansas and he's going to be Izzy, who was the original guitarist for guns and roses. So okay. yeah, I'm, I'm a groupie kind of. <laughs> so give me, give me some, uh, Give me some pointers real quick on uh, a dog that goes out perfectly. He sits, he marks, he watch your watch, mark, send him. Might have to whistle stop him. You get him to the bird. He comes back with the bird. He she comes back with the bird, and they take a little bit too wide of a turn coming out. They go a little bit too far behind you before they're healing. They're trying to. They're trying. I want them to get to a point to where they come right back, and they they. It's not robotic, obviously, but you know, as least room for me as possible. So maybe a foot away, and then they turn right in and they heal. I don't know if that question makes sense, but is there yeah. anything that you can think of the top of your head that would help us? a day-to-day trainer on his own or her own get that fixed absolutely so like what we'll do in a situation like that is um you, you want to use like a, a a chain link fence or a, a side of a shed or um something that will allow that dog or can't go out and wide away from you um and then if they're you know that'll help keep them tight to you um, so that's what we'll use is we actually have just like a long stretch of fence. So we'll throw our marks and then depending on if it's a right side heel or left side heel dog, we'll just adjust ourselves accordingly. So that when they come back into the heel, we keep tight up to that fence. So then they got to spin right away and come into that heel. Um, and then um, if they're going past you, um, they're not going wide, they're just going past you. We'll, we'll set up a, a block. So we'll either back the, tra- the dog trailer up to it or, you know, a vehicle or a four wheeler or something to set up like a, a barricade where they can't run past you any farther. That's going to help that dog clean up into that heel. So if you, if you, if your dog is a left leg healer, he heals on your left side. Yep. What side do you want the fence on? I would put it on the left side then. On the left side. Yeah. So is, is he going to come around the right side to get, go behind me and come behind me to heal? He could. Um, so if that's okay, up oh, here comes Slash. Here, um, I don't know if you can see him. Hey, Slash. Hey, Slashy. What's up, Slash? Hey, buddy. Oh, yeah. Look at that stud. Little Close. cutie. Um, so, uh, place. I know. Good boy. Um, so, I don't know. He's laying down. That's all right. Um, so, uh, if, if they're doing that, we'll, we'll, we'll use it. It's called like a, a riding crop. So it's just like a long stick that we'll have that you use to to block that dog. So you just kind of wave it off to your side, um, and that'll block block that dog. Um, but usually that won't be a problem if you have your recall good without retrieving. You know what I mean? So you want to, you know, when you're looking to get that delivered, you know, right to your left side, right to your right side, you know, do it without retrieving. You know, go out and get your recall recall, um, getting that solid, and then build it into your retrieve. Um, but if you're constantly having problems or they want to go behind you, um, set up a barricade of some sort on that side. So they only have a little alleyway to go to and that's where they have to come to your side. That makes total sense. And I, I remember we did this drill with Brad on, I don't know if you saw that drill that we did with him on, on the foul life, but we did something pretty similar to what you're explaining in Kansas. 
It's a big deal. I mean, it's one of those things where you want your dog back. You want them in formation. You want them looking back for the next duck or the next retrieve or the ducks in the air that are starting to work to call. The idea is that dog to get out and get back with the duck. You know, less cripples. If he's crippled, you ring his neck, get him dead. But to get that duck back in the blind and suited, ready back on his seat, not suited, seated, looking out for the next flock to come in and nothing gets disrupted, right? That's the key of a good duck dog is to not disrupt the hunt at all, to get the bird, get it back um, and make sure that we don't lose any ducks, but also make sure that we don't, you know, let any other flocks go that we might have a chance to capitalize on. And if you have a dog that doesn't mind or is not, you know, hearing his whistles or his commands or not being handled right that day, he could be out there and just screw up a couple flocks by swimming through the decoys or you're yelling at him or whatever. I've seen it a hundred times. So it's key to make sure that that, that that return is, you know, it's quick and, and, you know, just drama free, really just back in his hand shakes off ready for the next mark. Right. Right. You know, the biggest thing is like when you're, when you're going out hunting, you know, when you're having that trained dog, you don't like a lot of people I know go out hunting and they're, they're worried about the dog screwing up the hunt. Or if you get them trained, you know, that's the last thing on your mind that you're worried about. You know, you can worry about your gun safety, worry about getting your decoy set up properly, uh, properly, um, you know, worrying about getting your camouflage, your height in. Um, we don't have to worry about that dog. You just know going into it that that dog is going to do what you want it to do. Um, you know, and then by having, you know, a lot of times that dog isn't trained, um, where I've, I've heard of stories of your dog, they send the dog out and it's, it's a complete tangled up in the decoys, Well, you know, you're that, that's actually kind of scary for that dog. And you can actually hurt that dog, um, and make them lose their confidence in decoys and everything by not, you know, take your time, get them out in the off season, introduce them in the decoys in the, on land first, and then work your way into the water. Um, get, get them used to all these scenarios before you, you throw them to the wolves. Yeah, that's a big mistake. You know, I've made it. A lot of people make it that they think that they can train and go straight into a duck hunt scenario over water land. And he runs out there and sees all these floating ducks that he's not used to seeing these plastic ones. And he can still smell because that blood or that dead is on the water, that dead ducks laying close by. Yep. But it's not as clean as it could be if you train him through the decoys and introduce him to it the right way. So it's, it's, it's real. It's a, a lot of common sense that you have to think about it like raising children or the way that you would want to be raised or taught something and, or coach something is that yep. you don't go into a baseball game and face Randy Johnson's hundred mile an hour fastball from the left side. You work your way up from T-ball right. and then gain confidence with your bat and your swing and the right mechanics and proper form and everything. And then if you're good enough, you have a chance to face that fastball. But if you do, get to face it, rest assured you're going to be prepared for it because of all those years of practice and you weren't throwing to the wolves, you know, quote unquote, like you just said. So it's a big deal. What are, what, what do you think, what would you tell a guy on a conditioned dog? Is there too much that a dog can do in a given day? Is there too many retrieves? Is it, is it smart to let him rest and get the boat and go get a couple ducks? Um, it doesn't matter if it's, all 20 yard retrieves, but what if there's a couple blinds that are hundred yard swims and back? Um, it's very important to make sure that you don't overexpose a dog or overwork a dog because the bottom line is, is they can't speak English. <laughs> you got to right. read their body language and you have to be yeah. smart as their owner and their handler of being able to say, no, you're done. It's kind of like having a kid again. It's like they'll eat all the M&Ms in the world until you tell them not to or until they throw up, right? Same with the dog. They'll eat all the food in the bag until you tell them not to or they throw up. So it's up. They, they can't tell you that they're getting a bellyache or that their legs are sore or that their tail is, is starting to hurt because it's the water's cold or whatever. Right. So you, you got to what what would you tell a handler as far as overexposing a dog or overworking a dog on any given hunt? 
Yeah. You, I mean, you nailed it right on there. It's, you know, the dogs, when you have a good bloodline Labrador, they, they won't stop, you know, they'll go until they're, they tip over. So you, you got to be the parent, you got to be the handler. Um, so like what I always like to tell everybody is when you got a seven month, eight month old dog lab and it's, it's going on its first hunt, it's first, everything like slashes, um, you know, you want to, so like I said, that slash had 17 birds that he retrieved on his first hunt. Well, that was morning and night. Um, so we, we hunted them. So I always tell people, you know, shoot five or six ducks, you know, with them, but don't like, if you have a flock of like 13 coming in, don't have like 12 guys out there and start wrapping and dropping all these ducks everywhere. Just shoot ones or twosies and help build up that dog's confidence. Um, and then as your dog gets older and more experienced, you know, you got to look at its terrain. Is it, is it mucking through marsh? Is it mucking through mud and it's you know you got to think of all the energy they're using to go get that retrieve um so i always tell everybody is you know when if your dog's made you know four or five six retrieving a, a thick marsh thick everything you know put them back in the boat or in the blind and let them let them hang out a little bit um and then let them rest let them reamp his juice up and then he should be able to be good to go again um, but if you're going to be doing that every day, back to back to back for two, three weeks on end, then I would highly suggest to get another dog so you can rotate those dogs. To, so you can get one day, one dog a day off, or if you're hunting them together, send them on every other retrieve. So that way they're getting a break in between. Are you feeding them during the hunt? I don't, um, I'm afraid of, uh, getting a flip stomach. So I, I'm a firm believer that I want to let them, I feed them. Like if I'm going to feed them in the morning, I want to make sure that they have a two hour period where they're not running, no nothing. Um, so I don't want to get a flip stomach or a twitch of stomach. And then at the end of the day, I always make sure that they've rested for at least an hour and then I'll feed them. So during the hunt, no snacks, no, 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 no bars. Like you see some of this stuff out there. Is that gimmicks or do they work in other conditions like training or whatever? But as far as it's, you're talking it doesn't have to be necessarily a hunt even if it's training and they're running and exercising and they're going all out for a while you don't want to yeah. feed them right before that or during that no i mean you definitely can um but you just want to make sure that you're given time gaps you know you don't want to just like you you're not going to go out and eat a steak dinner and then go for a two mile run huh. you know what i mean you're gonna, come on you're gonna i would a, you're gonna give yourself a break or uh you're gonna wait a couple hours let your stomach settle same thing with these dogs if you feed them and then you go run them as hard as you can right away, they're going to get a, a flip stomach or a twisted stomach and that can actually kill them. Do you incorporate duck calls at all into your training? I see the jargon banner behind you and I know you're one of our ambassadors for the jargon brand. We appreciate it. Do you like the calls? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we um, we blow a jargon duck call every day here. So what we do is when, when we're teaching our dogs, we use mark. So that means like your case, watch. Um, but we're, we're teaching that dog to scan the air. Look what's coming. Mark, there's something coming. Um, so then after we teach them that mark command, then we throw in the duck call. So we, t we train the dogs that that duck call means mark. So like all the dogs that we train, when you hit that duck line, you start wailing on that call. They're going to, their eyes are going to be glued to the sky because they know that something's going to be throwing or something's going to be flying into the decoys. Um, so we were, I mean, we blow um, duck call constantly, or if we have a guy that's a huge goose hunter, well, then we'll blow a goose call. Um, but yeah, duck call we'll use for helping with steadiness as well too. We'll do whack, 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 boom, boom, boom. The dog has to stay sitting there until they hear their name, until they can go get that retreat. So do you think it's important, the audio part of it, um, 
for a dog to hear that duck call being conditioned? I mean, it makes sense, right? There, that's what you don't want that to become a surprise either, right? Well, you got to get them used to the, what's going to happen. So, like when we're training a dog, you know, we're we're I'm I'm uh, when I'm getting when the dog sitting next to me, and I know that we're going to be throwing a mark. Let's say I'm like, get ready, boys, get ready, boy. Here they come, here they come, and then I start wailing on the duck call, went, 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 and then boom, 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 and um, and then. Um, then we'll make up the dogs pause for a while. So that way, you know, they're not, you know, just in, you gotta, you want to simulate if there's another, if they're going to come back around or, um, you know, you're going to shoot at a, a dog, a duck on the water, you know, you don't want to send that dog right away. So you teach them to be patient after the shooting, after the duck calling, every, after all the cheering and everything, make them be patient because you might have to shoot a duck on the water or something. You want to have the safety of your dog. Once we make them pause for a while and then we'll send them and then we'll redo that volley again. Do you, do you think that it is a good decision for a dog owner to let his dog, uh, and I'm talking a, a duck dog that's going to be, you know, he doesn't have to be master hunter. He doesn't have to be uh, a hunter retriever champion, but some, but a dog that's going to go into training, he's got some money invested in him or, or a lot of sweat equity and elbow grease to get that dog trained. If you're a, you know, if you're a solo guy, that's going to do it on your own. Is it a good idea to have a lab have a chew toy or one of these bones that you see on the pet store shelf? Is it is it a good thing to give them something to chew, or is is that a misnomer in that that's just going to teach them to chew whenever that thing's not in their sight too? Um, yes and no. Um, so like like Slash in his kennel, um, when he's inside the house and I'm not in there, he has to be in a crate because we don't 100 trust him yet to roam around the house. Um, but he'll have a nala bone in there. A lot of people use a deer antler, um, but that's just him, you know, chewing out a hard something hard. Where I'll never put like a, I don't like stuffed animals with squeaky toys um, because that squeaky toy, you know, when, when a mallard duck you shoot one or uh, any kind of bird, they squeak a little bit. They make a little noise when you when, after the dog's retrieving them. Um, where you don't want that to simulate like a squeaky toy that means destroy. If that makes sense. Right. Um, so I'll use like a hard bone or something like that. But you never want to play tug of war with your dogs. Because then when it comes back with the retrieve and you go take its duck or its bumper, you know, it's going to go on a tug of war mode. Um, so like Slash, he has an olive bone in his crate, but we don't play with that. That's just when he's in there by himself, he gets to have that to chew on. But then when we're outside, he doesn't get that bone. We're having a dummy or we're having a bird or whatever we're doing with him. Makes total sense. We never want to play tug of war because um, then, you know, that's a hard habit to break. How important is grooming for a duck dog? Meaning this time of year, they're sweating. They can start to stink some. They're, they're, uh, you know, they raise their leg to piss and they might hit their body with it a little bit. They might roll around in a stool. They're, no. in, they're in muddy water. They, they might, you know, get into a cow patty. They might get into a dead animal. Obviously, there's certain instances like that that you're going to, you know, clean them right away. But if it's duck season or training season, Andrew, and you're at duck camp and, you know, you're on a run, you're on a three, four week run of just nonstop migration and the ducks are there and your dogs are working their asses off, male or female, is grooming important to a dog like it is a human being as far as hygiene goes? Um, I mean, yes and no, because if they get really dirty and really stinky, they're going to start itching, you know, and then they're going to create soft spots or, you know, wounds from scratching all the time. Um, where a lot of people, you know, one thing too, is if you're grooming your dog, you want to make sure you're using a dog shampoo. Um, human shampoos can make them really, really itchy. Um, so I always use a, a dog shampoo and like slash here, um, he likes to go in the pond every chance he gets. So he has to get a bath at least, 
Um, we give him a bath at least every two weeks for sure. Two weeks. Yeah. And, and what does the bath consist of? Is it a big, do you have a big sink in your kennel or do you just use a hose outside with some dog shampoo? How do you, how does that work? Yeah, so it's like a, it's like a bathtub actually. And then um, we just got a hose on it and warm water. Um, and then you just hose them down and squirt the soap on them and scrub it, um, scrub it all into them and then rinse it off. And I rinse it off really good to make sure you get all that soap out. Um, Cause a lot of times if you're using like a human shampoo, if it gets in their eye, they can get like their eyes will swell up or close shut. Um, where the, um, the dog shampoo is like a kid shampoo. So if it gets in their eyes or anything, it doesn't irritate them at all. Um, and then, um, just make sure when you're, you know, give them the bath scrub every part of their body and then, um, you make sure to do an extra rinse to get all the soap out of it. Do you, do you think that it's important for as, as far as a duck dog goes and, and you have the conditions of a hunt, you're watching the migration, you're watching the forecast, you're watching, you know, how cold is it going to be? How warm is it going to be? Talk to me about teaching a duck hunter or preconditioning a duck hunter now, male or female, of what they should be thinking about at all times. What are some of the tools of the trade that you would carry as a duck hunter specifically for your dog? We already talked about snacks, maybe, maybe not, probably not during a hunt. Um, do you feed snacks if it's a real cold day and they're losing that body temperature and they need a more, you know, a higher caloric intake, or are you still taking a chance of that turned stomach? And do you carry blankets? Do you carry towels? Do you carry chamois? Do you carry body heaters or buddy heaters? What, give me some ideas of what you would tell a duck hunter to keep in mind specifically because adding a dog to your arsenal is a huge responsibility and it puts a completely different level to the game. It takes you, takes you up a few rungs when you add that to your arsenal of having a high powered duck dog. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, you know, things to always, you know, have with you is, um, you know, a couple things not to do with the weather. Um, but especially in a young dog, you know, you know how it is, you know, there might be a morning you're going out duck hunting and you don't see a duck. Well, that dog doesn't know that, you know, you want to keep the training going. So bring a dummy with you. So if you're sitting there for an hour or so and nothing's happening, throw your dog a couple of retrieves. So it's getting success. It's not just getting bored out there, keeping them, you know, use that as a training aspect. Um, and then, you know, watch your weather. So I always run a near preem vest on my dogs when it's cold out, just that holds your body heat in. Um, but then when you're buying a neoprene vest, make sure they fit snug. You don't want like a big gap up by the chest or anything like that. You want it to fit snug because when they're in the water, if it's a big, that the chest is open, that's going to allow water to go in there and you're not preventing the problem. Or if you got a, ch- a tight neoprene vest, that's going to help keep that, shed that water off and not hold it inside that vest. Um, that's kind of, that's kind of like the analogy of some waders. Yeah. You don't, you yeah. don't want water getting down your waders. It's going to make it heavier and cause you to sink sometimes if you're not careful. Right. Yeah, so absolutely. you're saying, you're saying to keep that vest tight around the neck. So when he's swimming, there's not a whole bunch of force going against him, preventing him from getting back or, you know, making him work that much harder with the force. It's almost like swimming against a wake or a wave in the ocean. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, then that's keeping the water, keeping him his body as dry as it possibly can as well too. Um, and then obviously if you're hunting in a boat and you're able to have like, you know, nowadays they make a little buddy heater, it's a little red heater that can fit anywhere, you know, have that sitting by your dog or always bring a towel with you. Um, so that way, if, after he's made a few retrieves, cause you know, a lot of times for duck hunting, if you're hunting water, you know, your, your actions right away in the morning. And then you usually sit for a while before you get another volley. But while you're in that time frame of waiting and sitting, dry them off, get them, you know, get them, get them dried off, get the heater by them if you can, just to keep him warm. Um, and then another little trick too, that I like to tell everybody is when you got that young dog, 
And, you know, it hasn't been taught hand signals and it hasn't been taught any of that stuff, but just been force fetched and they just deliver the duck to you. You know, don't be afraid to have a pile of rocks in your boat so you can throw a rock at that duck just to help build up that confidence in that young dog so they know where that retrieve is out on the water. Well, I'm not, so you're saying it's it's a good idea to have a, a and if you forget rocks, make sure you have some extra TS, shells. TSS shotgun shells to throw yeah. out $4 a piece. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's just, um, you know, obviously you want to get your dog trained for hand signals and everything, but depending on when they're born, where they're at in the training, you know, sometimes they're not 100% trained where, you know, you don't want to get that dog confused or anything. So by throwing a little rock or a shotgun shell, just to, oh, there it is. And then you can build up that confidence and they just learn from every retrieve after that. And then obviously with your, your, your different hunting scenarios, whether you're in a marsh or flooded timber or dry land, you know, obviously the concealment, there's lots of different forms of dog blinds out there, dog stands, platforms, chain platforms for around a tree. Um, there's nothing worse in my opinion than the dog needing to, you know, stay in water for an overextended period of time, especially with, you know, the elements of duck hunting season. It might not be as bad, you know, on a warm day if he's standing in the water, but make sure that you're conscientious about that dog being up out of the water and staying dry and keeping his internal temperature and body temperature up. And, you know, just think about it's, 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 you just, think with common sense again you know if you're cold you put a blanket on yeah when you're wet you put a towel on and dry off you don't when you get out of the ocean there's a little breeze blowing you the first thing you do is try to you know if it's a little brisk outside is to dry off because it's that much colder when you're wet right so just you know we these dogs are not superheroes even though they can swim and run and, and 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 perform like one on any given occasion they are a dog and they need to be taken care of they need to be loved they need to be nurtured and it's very important that no matter how old they get that you're keeping their safety and security you know at the up at the forefront of your mind you know before the hunt during the hunt and after the hunt with nutrition and body temperature and you know vaccinations and immunizations and their veterinarian visits and and watching their weight and watching their hips and watching you know all of their joints and their ligaments and there's a lot that goes into it and you know as you as you you mature into your business i know that you're going to be adding a lot of different services you know if we look at brad Arrington's service of what he's done down in georgia at mossy pond it's it's a it's an operation that is one to be sought after and one to be duplicated because he's got it going on down there as far as a place where your dogs you you can be rest assured that they're taken care of and same with you you're growing into that and i think that as a as a and as a trainer of dogs you are taking on an ultimate responsibility of bringing that dog in because it's not just that you're responsible for making him go get a duck and bring it back you have to make sure that he is safe and secure she is safe and secure at all times because it's your ass if anything happens whether it's whether it's kennel disease or kennel cough or traffic on the highway or getting in the way of an atm or a tailgate being closed on his paw there's so many things that can go wrong with the daily rigmarole of being a duck hunter being a trainer you're got you need to you know have the ability to execute that and then educate that to the handler once he comes to him so that's what's important to keep in mind when choosing a trainer like Wild Acre, right? We work with the best. We have Mossy Pond. We have Wild Acre. We have Yukonuba. We 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 don't work with a ton of kennels. We make sure that we have a friendship first and foremost. And then obviously we have to have testimonials and proof in the pudding. And you and Brad have that going on. And I think that, you know, the communication, the transparency is is everything. And 
making sure that that handler knows when he or she gets that dog back, what's expected of that handler. Because obviously that dog's been in boot camp and he's going to be like a little soldier ready to go. But that doesn't mean that he's going to be aware of his surroundings or her surroundings at all time. And that's the importance of a good trainer, getting that education and that process to the handler or the dog owner. Here's what's expected of you now, right now, every day. And, and that's why it's so hard for me because I have so much going on during a hunt. And this is something to keep in mind for a dog owner, for a dog handler. I, I just mentioned it five minutes ago of adding that a- extra responsibility. And it goes up three or four rungs on that ladder of responsibility of bringing a dog into your arsenal myself and this isn't an excuse i just i pass the buck to you or brad or somebody when you're on the road with us or somebody there that can help me handle the dog because when you're have the cameras on and you're calling ducks and you're managing the hunt and you're calling the shot and you're you're hosting the show and you're doing the cutaway you're doing all the things that go into a hunt the last thing that i wanted to do is say all right well i'm well suited and well equipped and well versed enough to where i can add that because you got to be watching that dog at all times you got to understand his safety at all times during that hunt with loaded shotguns you know in the blind three or four or five six guns down the line so i look at it like I love, I love the idea of having a dog in the blind and I have the utmost respect for the top notch handlers. Right. And I just want, I'm trying to tell that as an example, like I take the responsibility of saying, look, I'm going to have somebody in the blind that is 100% geared and focused on that dog because they have to be. It's nothing that you take your eyes off of or lose focus on for one second. So all of that is in short means that when you go get your dog from a trainer and you, you know, it's, it's the best idea in the world. If you don't have time and you're a nine to fiver and you don't have time to put the ample amount of training into a dog, it's the best thing in the world to get him trained. It doesn't have to be for three years like we do with a lot of our dogs, but it can be for six months, eight months, get the basics down, but then make sure you're communicating with that trainer and that handler at all time so you understand the process of giving that dog the utmost respect and the ability to capitalize capitalize on his or her potential. That all makes sense, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's, it's huge because, you know, there are dogs and they could have all the training in the world and uh, be a, a really good dog, but, you know, they're just like us humans. They can make a mistake at some point. And if somebody's not watching that dog, you know, and they, they tear off the, out of the side of the blind and then the person with the other right-hand side of the blind doesn't quite see that dog and goes to shoot a cripple on the ground or something, that could end very badly. So, but if you had a guy watching the dog and running the dog, you know, he would be able to correct that dog or yell, Hey dog out in the field or something. So we could keep that dog safe. Yeah. And it's just, it's a team effort and it's just, you know, making sure that that dog is looked at as part of the team. And, and a lot of times they can be overlooked because you get so excited with what's going on in the hunt and the anticipation and the power of the flocks of birds that are working your decoy spread. But there's nothing more satisfying than seeing a dog that you watch grow up as a puppy and go through boot camp and training, go out and get those retrieves and just be you know, kind of a robot. They are a, I don't want to, I want to be rest assured and understood that dogs are a tool. They are your friend when they're not hunting. They are, are, are cared for during the hunt, before the hunt, after the hunt, like we said before, but they are a tool, a conservation tool. And that's what they're there for. They are not there to do anything except go get the birds and bring the birds back. Now, don't get me wrong. 
part of the feel good part is, you know, the feel good part of it is yeah, they're there and they're warm and they're fuzzy and they're fun to pet and talk to and, and see their eyes, spot the ducks and all that. But their main job is a conservation tool. And it's your job to make sure that you execute that right to where you as a hunter are upholding that responsibility of ethical hunting, of making sure that you don't shoot over your limit. If you cripple a bird, that goes against your limit and you make the utmost attempt to retrieve that bird and put them in your possession or on your strap. And that means having a good dog, because I say it all the time, you can't get down in the toolies or in the cattails or in the flooded timber with stumps around and a mallard drake that was, you know, gotten crossfire winged or something. And he's diving on it uh, on you or he's it, out of your vision. You're not going to get down there and smell that dog out and sniff him out and put him in your mouth and bring him back. These dogs have a special talent to be able to do this. And that's what Labradors were put on earth to do was go retrieve harvested game or crippled game and bring it back as a conservation tool. So that's what needs to be of the utmost important that they are not out there for your visitation or, you know, they're there to accompany you. and They do make a big part of the hunt of making you feel good. But first and foremost, they are a conservation tool. Absolutely. And, um, you know, when you're, when they're in that hunt, you know, that's why you have a lab or a dog. Like obviously yeah, we have them as pets too, for our home life. You know, I couldn't live without a dog. Um, but when we're going out hunting, you know, we're bringing that dog to retrieve our game. So that way, if we have a crippled that's going across the pond or, you know, getting away that sailed away out in the field where that dog's going to get there 10 times faster than we're going to be able to. And who knows if, if we didn't have dog, it could be lost and then you're, you're leaving game out in the field. Yeah, all of that. I mean, the speed yeah. of a dog, when you, when you look at a dog, I, I asked my daughter the other day, I go, you think you could beat Duff in a race? And I gave <laughs> her, you know, I gave her like a 40-yard head, 40 head start and, and and let her get going before I sent him. And it's it's an amazing, they are amazing, amazing athletes. They are a special, special animal, a Labrador retriever is, or a golden retriever, whatever dog you choose to hunt with. There's a lot of great dogs. But a Labrador Retriever in the duck blind is as special as it gets um, on making sure that that hunt is complete by bringing all of your game back. So I don't know. Give me an idea of what you do in an instance if you if your buddy wants to bring his dog and you have a dog. Do you do you automatically train this in the in the in at Wild Acre of respecting each other honoring each other is that something that you do in your training on a daily basis or is that in stage two when they bring him back for the second part of training how where does that fit into the scenario oh, no, absolutely so like when we're we throw marks so what marks means is i'm sitting with the dog and i have an employee out in front of me that he's throwing that to retrieve teaching that dog that everything comes in front of you um so when we're doing a scenario like that like the dog i'm running will be next to my side but we'll have two or three dogs behind us sitting up on a stand and just waiting patiently for their turn. And then we usually have a guy just standing back there to make sure they don't break or anything like that. And that, that'll allow us to deal with the steadiness, the honoring and everything just by having those dogs watch when it's not their turn. And what are their expectations while they're watching? Are they to be paying attention to what that dog's doing? Um, you know, as if they were on, on it themselves, if it was up, if it was their turn. Yes. So like, you know, what I'm looking for is I'm just not to leave that spot. Um, but when you have high drive dogs, you know, they're, they want to go get that, that bird that's throwing just as bad as the one going to get it. Um, so they're going to be hundred percent focused in 90% of the time. Um, but if they're not paying attention and they're kind of lacking off, we'll just yell up, up for something to grab their attention and get them focused in. So that is, a, that's a, that's a big time, you know, 
important factor of duck hunting because a lot of duck hunters have dogs and a lot of duck hunters want to bring their dogs. Yep. Is there a time when you, is there a time where you ever, you just got to swallow your pride once in a while too. If it's not the right scenario, be the bigger guy and say, all right, go ahead and bring your dog today or whatever, or, you know, work it out through communication. But you know, don't put those dogs in a position to where they're going to fail. And that's a good way to let a dog fail is to get in a competitive mode to where they think it's a race every time ducks come in and they start to break or they start to want the head start, whatever it is, you know, make that decision yourself. But, you know, you got to understand your dog's talent level of where he or she is at in their training. And is it a good idea to bring another dog into the scenario right now? Just like Brad Arrington did a drill with me in Canada with Axel that he he's as qualified as you get as a as a test dog right as a hunt test and a, and a master hunter and a hunter retriever champion but the first the first day out all he wanted was singles and pairs at the most if it was a bigger flock we wouldn't even work them or call at them or give you know give that dog the chance of seeing a bunch of dog, dog ducks come in and confusing him and the yeah. other part of that is is that shotgun. They might be introduced to a shotgun, right? And I, and you've told me this at Wild Acre before. It, they can be introduced to a shotgun and that gun going off during training, but that doesn't mean that you bring them out on uh, in Alberta or Saskatchewan in the first day of September season and you know September tenth or whenever you get up there and let eight guns go off at them and ten ducks die. And you said that when you were in Kansas with you know when those thirteen ducks came in, you guys took you know you only shot two out of it. You don't want to scare the piss out of that dog by a whole barrage of shots going going off yes absolutely you know you want to ease them ease them into all that as your young dog um and the, and the reason is is because you know when you're when you're training at home you know you're not going to have eight guys blowing guns off you're not going to you can't simulate real life ducks coming into a decoy you know so you got to teach them all those steps like granted in our training we have live mallards um but you can't like throw them in they're going to land into your decoys and you can shoot them um, so you, you, you simulate it as best as you can in training, but when you go out to the wild, you need to take a couple steps back and, you know, only shoot one duck or shoot just two ducks and then pause, but make sure they only have a, one or other buddy with you or two, maybe two at the most and just run that one dog. I, I'm a firm believer. And I always tell all my customers this, the first few hunts, at least let your dog hunt it by itself. If your buddy wants to bring his dog, then take turns. Um, but that young dog, you do not want to hunt together. You want to let them get success. You don't you mean know, take turns on the hunt. You mean take turns on separate hunts, right? You bring yeah, yours today, I'll bring mine tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's what I meant. Take turns on, okay, on Saturday, I'll run my dog. And then, you know, sometimes you don't get your limb in the morning, so you go at nighttime. Well, then your buddy gets to run his dog at nighttime or vice versa. Sunday morning, your buddy gets to run his dog. And then Sunday night, you get to run your dog. Just take turns, you know, work together. Um, you know, everybody wants to get their dogs on as many birds as they possibly can. So they think they're just going to hunt them together. Well, you could actually be ruining it instead of teaching them. So take turns with your buddies. Um, but if your dogs are both experienced, both good, then in the summertime, you need to be working together in the off season, working those two dogs together or three dogs, get your buddies together, grill out, whatever it takes, get together, work their, work those dogs, throw retrieves, let them go one by one. Um, so that way when it comes to hunting season, it's not just, oh my God, we got ducks everywhere, all these other dogs, people, and the dogs kind of get over, over challenged or anything. You want to make sure that they're, they're focused and in on and locked in on that scenario. I love it. Simple one. Kennels in the back of the truck, dogs in it. Truck's got a two inch lift kit or a leveling kit on it. Tailgate comes down, kennel door goes open. 
is there a correct way to get that dog to the ground and does it affect that dog in the long it might not happen short term but long term and long you know down the road will it affect that dog's joints and his knees and his in his hips by the impact of jumping off of that tailgate onto cement or onto a hard grass or a training surface oh absolutely absolutely yeah if you um if you have a dog that you know you have a I really don't care what kind of, you know, how high your truck is, just grab onto them and help them down. You know, you don't have to fully bring them all the way down to the ground, but you know, it's just that big jolt of impact to the ground. You know, like when I was growing up, my dad would always yell at me for jumping out of the back of a tailgate. He goes, you're going to be paying for that in the future. It's, it's the same thing with the dogs. You know, they're hitting that ground, taking out running, you know, just save them and help them, you know, just pick them out of the truck quick and then, help them to the ground or get a ramp or something. But, you know, jumping out of the truck all the time at a young age, you're going to feel like it doesn't even affect them. It, it doesn't. But when they get older, that's when you'll start to see that, you know, their joints be in more shape and everything else because they were jumping out of a pickup. So at, at, when they're, when they're a year old, like slash is you're helping him out of that truck in one way or the other. Yeah. Yeah. So we kind of do it's like when slash is coming out, you know, uh, we just slash is trained that he has to sit on the tailgate before he, he can't just jump off. He knows he can't do that. You know, it's a great thing to work with your dogs. Don't allow your dogs to just come blowing out of their kennels. Work with them. Teach them that, hey, you got to stay in this kennel until you're asked to come out. Um, it's just a safety reason, too. And that way, Slash comes out. So it's kind of just grabbing by the collar, grabbing by the back, and we just quick throw him on the ground, and he, he's good to go. We don't want to allow him to, like, fly out of the back of the truck um, just to save on his joints and everything else. Yeah, I've, I've always wondered that because, you know, you hear inklings of it here and there, but you also see a lot of guys doing it. And I'm I'm just as guilty. And you got to oh, take yeah. that time. I don't let them come flying out of the kennel. They sit on the tailgate, but then you're like, okay, and then boom. And then what about jumping up? Is that bad for them to jump up onto the tailgate? Is a ramp a better idea? Um, no, I mean, obviously, yeah, a ramp is a better idea, but I let all my dogs jump up. You know, our dogs are going to jump. Um, but this, the biggest thing is don't let them jump from the sides. So they don't get stuck in that little strap that holds your tailgate on. Mm -hmm. um, so just teach your dog to jump up in the middle of the tailgate. Always is my my biggest concern. What I always tell people that they jump up from the side. It happened to me with my dog Kai. She, I was I wasn't even by the pickup. She just see the tailgate open and she wanted to go for a ride and she jumped up to the side and she got kind of stuck in that strap of that that holds that tailgate on and it it's, it kind of freaked her out for a while. We had to like go back to working her to jump back up into a pickup. So now I just know that, hey, we got to, you know, teach them to jump up in the middle of that tailgate. So with, you know, we're doing this series on the Foul Life podcast, and that's why we had John Andrew. It's the essentials of duck hunting. And we've gone over the scouting. We've gone over the migration and weather and having ducks in the area. We've gone over the hide and the concealment. That includes camouflage. If you're out of a blind and you're up against a tree, and you, obviously we work with Realtree doing all of that stuff. We're going to be talking with Tyler Jordan in a couple of days about some of the new, um, you know, uh, the evolution of camo and where the timber pattern's gone and what they're getting ready to launch in the waterfowl world. Then it moves on to guns and we're talking to Benelli today and then it's Black Cloud and we're talking to Federal tomorrow and and then we have knives with Gerber to, on the processing part of it and the, the butchering part of it and then we have Traeger that came on yesterday and we talk about the wild game and and the essentials of that and what what the the biggest part you know not the biggest part they're all important but one of the main parts of the essentials one of the main essentials of duck hunting is what we're talking about today and the importance of 
a good duck dog and being smart with it and making level-headed the right decisions you are going to get frustrated you are going to have to discipline that dog because if you don't they'll run all over your ass there's no doubt about it that a dog will run you over if you do not discipline and let him know who boss is so there's a right way to do everything training collars e-collars bark collars nutrition you know weather related stuff warm stuff dry versus cold stuff all of their immunizations and all of their shot records and their vaccinations there's so much that goes into this part and the essential of it it's not like just going into max prairie wings and saying hey i want that jargon small talk or that chit chat right there and i got a new duck call obviously you got to spend a lot of hours and sweat equity to learn how to blow that duck call and become proficient with that duck call then you got to learn how to read ducks and posturing and body language and all that but we are talking about a living creature going out to retrieve a a living creature that just passed or that is, you know, getting ready to be, you know, finally, you know, dead all the way if he got crippled in a, in a hunting incident. So this is, the, you know, as far as essentials go, this is a big deal in two, in, in the main two aspects, I think is one, if it's a big deal because of the responsibility level of adding a dog to your arsenal. And two, it's a responsibility to understanding that that hunt is, is, it has a conservation tool added to it now and making sure that everybody understands that this dog is a tool in that. So as far as essentials go and the tools of duck hunting and having all these apps at our fingertips and all of this knowledge and content at our fingertips at any given time through social media or YouTube. Whatever it is, it is the responsibility of the handler and the owner to make sure that that dog is trained to his utmost performance level. And if they're not, then you can't expect that dog to do things just because you were told it had a good bloodline or you were told that his dad or his grandpa has was a good duck dog or a master hunter. Just because he comes from bloodlines or she comes from bloodlines and, and has ancestors that were badasses does not mean that that female or that male is going to be the same caliber. It is up to you as an owner to find the right trainer like we have found with you and Brad Arrington at Mossy Pond you at Wild Acre in Minnesota it is the responsibility of that buyer that gun dog owner to find the right trainer and then abide by that training those methods and what he learns and then or he or she learns in that camp in that kennel and then apply that daily to keep it refreshed in that dog's noggin at all times so as far as the essentials go I don't know if there's a more important one. Obviously, you got to have ducks for them to retrieve. But once that happens, that once the hunt happens and you're in them, I don't know if there's a more essential tool to duck hunting, goose hunting, waterfowl hunting, probably any wing shooting. You can't pheasant hunt without a good pointing dog. You can, but it isn't right. You can't quail hunt in Georgia without a good pointing dog. You can, but it isn't right. You can't chucker hunt in Montana or northern Nevada in the rim rocks of the mountains without a good chucker dog or good pointer dog. You just can't do it. You can, but it ain't right. You can't duck hunt without a dog. You can't but it ain't right so as far as essentials go i appreciate your time i think it, uh, it was a good discussion there's a lot of information out there um, you're not afraid to share your information and your knowledge and your experiences with dogs whether it's a pointing dog or a lab golden retriever or a poodle look up wild acre kennels andrew say your last name close that check say it again close that check that's not it it's schizolasic yeah. <laughs> Y'all just look it up and decide for yourself. Wild Acre Kennels, you'll see him on the Foul Life. You see him on our social media. Get Slash up there again. Would you let's all say bye to Slash? Come here, Slash. Slash. Slashy. Sit. What are you doing, bud? Oh, look at you, little cutie. Oh, hey, Slash. <laughs> you sleeping? <laughs> look at him. He's a little cutie, ain't he? Yeah, he's a good boy. All right, my man. Well, you have a good time. Stay safe. Stay home. Keep those dogs safe. Keep your nutrition up with you, Canoob. I don't know if you're eating yourself, but my brother, Clint, he's got a master's in physical therapy. He opened a bag of the 3020 high performance set. 
Matt stuff smells good enough for a human being to eat. And you don't hear that a lot about a lot of dog foods. Nope. So no, it does. It does smell good when you open up the bag. I'll be the first one to admit that. You have any closing words, Andrew? No, just um, biggest thing is if you need any help or any advice on dog training, give us a call. Wildacrekennels.com. Wildacrekennels.com. Yep. Instagram at wildacrekennels. Yep. Or kennel. Kennels. At wildacre kennels on Instagram. Check out some of his posts. Support the partners and sponsors that support our podcast, our TV shows. Today's episode, again, was brought to you by our friends at Gerber Knives. Check them out for all of your needs and abilities to stay sharp, America. And also by our friends at Yukonuba Sporting Dog, Yukonuba High-Level Premium Dog Foods. The science, the research speaks for themselves. Feed your dog, Yukonuba. Become part of Team Yuk. Yukonuba. Back in the days of the jazz musicians, that was something that they would say in places like New Orleans that, man, that's Yukonuba. That means the tops. So that means you're at the top of your game, the top of your level. So Andrew, I'm going to have you stay on. I'm going to get a little video for my daughter, Alyssa, so she can see Slash. Everybody, thank you so much for supporting the Foul Life Podcast. Please check out new episodes of our sister podcast, This Life Ain't For Everybody. If you're into baseball, cooking, fitness, nutrition, fighter pilots, doctors, eye doctors, surgeons, you name it, we have it over there on this life ain't for everybody we have a major league baseball week going on right now last week was an mma jiu-jitsu fight week we got it all over there guys we got awesome guests coming up chad ward dan henderson randy couture chad mendez um charlie blackman from the colorado rockies caleb ferguson and will smith from the los angeles dodgers and right here at the Foul Life Podcast, you name it, we got them coming up again with Fred Zink, Kelly Powers, Drew Keith at Honeybreak, Andrew right here at Wild Acre, Brad Arrington at Mossy Pond. We're going to have the who's who of the waterfowl industry, and we're also going to have guys that love to duck hunt and share the same passion of all those who are the who's who. doesn't matter if you're in the who's who. It just matters if you love the sport and you do it right ethically. Protect our culture. Protect our privilege of being an American hunter, a duck hunter, waterfowl hunter, deer hunter, turkey hunter. doesn't matter. It's not an entitlement issue. We are privileged to do this. It's not written into our constitution to have the right to hunt. It, 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 this right can be taken away or revoked at any time. Let's make sure that we fly the flag of the American hunter the right way with ethics and morals and the responsibility of doing it right stay safe america stay home tom hit that button this is 2am logic the song is called my foul life thank you very much andrew